All kidding aside, we should probably cut all that crap. Uh, where do we want to start? That was the start. Damn it. I was hoping not. All right. So let's go uh, with oldest first. Let's talk about the LaFerrari. John? Sure. God. Let's, what do we think about that name? It's terrible. So are we supposed debate? to call it the Ferrari La Ferrari? No, I think it's just La Ferrari. Now, <laughs> why is it bad? Why do we not like that name? It's redundant-ish. It's not really redundant. I mean, I, I think the reason the reason I don't like it is because I guess we're kind of used to cars having either names like after cities in Italy or at least Italian words to sound exotic. You know what I mean? Like Marinello or whatever. Testarossa. Yeah, right. Uh, or having kind of computer nerdy, techie, macho designations like F40, you know? And right. the rumor was that this was going to be the F70. They had the F50 and everything. This was good. It was the Enzo, which fine, whatever, you know, the founder of the company, you name a car after him, that's fine. Uh, this was going to be the F70, but no, not the F70. We get LaFerrari, which there's something about it, like maybe in, in Italian it doesn't sound so weird. You're just saying it's this is the Ferrari or whatever, because it is the Ferrari at this point in time anyway, although eventually it won't be. But uh, I don't know. I, I It's not like a Wii-level naming disaster, but nah, I'm I'm middle of the road on it. I kind of see that having like a name for it, like like one name, like Madonna, kind of <laughs> has a little bit has a little bit of cachet. All right. Uh, well, and anyway, what does I'll, this do to their other models? Like you have you have La Ferrari, and then you have all the other Ferraris. Yeah, then you yeah, have the well, crap I mean, Ferrari. They already <laughs> named one Ferrari California, so their their guess, naming has been yeah yeah yeah. It's just it's and like like I just looked at a handful of news articles about it to see, and and almost all of them are saying the Ferrari La Ferrari. Which is just ridiculous, but that's going to happen all the time. Like, like you know, you have to, when you're when you're picking like a, a cool new name for something, you have to imagine how it's going to be used. And when you're doing something a little bit uh, unconventional, like calling the new model of Ferrari La Ferrari, uh, you have to expect that a whole lot of the press and a whole lot of people are going to call it the Ferrari La Ferrari and not not use it the way you probably intend the name to be used. And uh, just based on that alone, I think uh, that should probably tell you maybe we shouldn't use this name. Well, they don't say the Ferrari. They, they, first of all, La Ferrari is one word, so that's good. If they put a space, it would be worse. And second, like in, in Ferrari's own you know English copy, it says the La Ferrari, blah 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 blah. So it's got a double the in it. I'm assuming right. in Italian they don't double it. I don't know. Uh, but the, the car itself is what everybody expected. I mean, it's been the, Ferrari itself was posting YouTube videos of like a. Uh, disguised you know testing mule type of thing where they got all the black paint over it and the fake body panels and stuff uh, it's kind of weird to, for the car maker to be posting its own disguised car running around because i don't think that shows the car in the best light i mean even in their official website they have something showing listen to the engine sound and they have their video of the disguised car running around the track no one wants to see a disguised car because it's like intentionally made to look ugly and has weird things sticking out of it and that's not a good idea uh but anyway it's you know mid-engine carbon fiber supercar thing uh with a hybrid powertrain which is the supercar fad of the uh, of this generation now i I don't i mean i saw a lot of 
people angry about it, uh, thinking that it was some sort of ploy. I guess these are people who who don't follow the car industry, thinking it was some sort of ploy for like to, to get the eco people for like you know oh you want us to think that you're green and eco friendly and, and and environmentally friendly now because you put this hybrid thing in your supercar. I can't imagine anybody who knows anything about Ferrari or the supercar market or anything thinking that. Because it's it's so clearly not the reason. Like no one is going to be fooled into thinking what, what how big is this engine? I'm looking for the displacement. Uh, well, whatever it is, it 800 horsepower V12. It's like oh, but it, but it's fuel efficient because that has a it's a hybrid. <laughs> totally, not, not so much. I bet at least one person will think that yeah, it's six six point three liters. Yeah, so this is not a small <laughs> engine. You could fit you, if you ground up my engine, you could fit it inside the displacement of this engine probably. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, no, so the reason like Porsche is doing it with their nine, was it nine eighteen, uh, spider and everything, like everyone's adding them because it makes the car go faster. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about hypercars, I think is, uh, a lot of people have been asking us to talk about F1, which I personally know nothing about, but I do know that in, for various reasons, F1 has a whole bunch of rules and restrictions on what you can put in the cars. Uh, there is no such restriction on a car that you just sell to billionaires, so they can do things in their top-of-the-line supercar that they can't do in their F1 car because of uh, various restrictions, and vice versa. Obviously, there's safety things that you have to do for real cars that you don't have to do with F1 cars. But uh, as far as I'm aware, well, I don't know. I, I shouldn't even venture a guess, but I would imagine that uh, hybrid powertrains are not yet legal in F1. Anyone know? Anyone want to Google that and give me so, some real-time follow-up? I actually did a little bit of looking around right before the show. Um, a lot of people, like you said, have been asking us to talk about F1 because on paper, F1 is the perfect meld of engineering and cars. Yet, I've tried a couple of times, not very seriously, to get into it, and I could not grasp it at all in the sense that I found it woefully boring and it's always on if you're American in the middle of the night and it's just not approachable. I don't like NASCAR. I think NASCAR is ridiculous. I don't follow any kind of motor racing. Um, and, and I know that probably disappoints anyone who wasn't born and bred in America. That being said, uh, the KERS system, K-E-R-S, which is Kinetic Energy Recovery System, which is the kind of hybrid this is, some teams in F1 either did or do use it as far as I understand. And in fact, I was looking earlier, and apparently they're increasing the possible output of a KERS system for next season to like 120 horsepower, something like that. i got to have to find that again. So you are allowed but, to use batteries in your F1 car? Well, it's not batteries. It's actually a flywheel. That's the interesting bit. But, um, but this one has batteries. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the page. Like this, you know, the, the LaFerrari has a, a battery pack. Not a big battery pack, but a battery pack. And it does use, you know, the kinetic energy recovery like when you're turning and stuff like that to take excess torque from the wheels and of course regenerative braking the whole nine yards but there's also a battery pack right so as per wikipedia as of 2014 the power capacity of the kurs units will increase from 60 kilowatts or 80 horsepower to 120 kilowatts does anyone really use kilowatts so 160 horsepower there will be no this will be to balance the sports move from a two and a half liter v8 to a one and a half liter v6 god that's tiny My yeah goodness. well i mean those cars weigh like you know 20 pounds. I don't know. Are they, are they, they're under 2,000 pounds, right? The <laughs> that I don't know, but I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, so this, this, that's the thing about the, the LaFerrari is their, their design goal, their stated design goal, what they keep talking about was they didn't, they don't say as much, but basically when you add, you know, this hybrid powertrain, and especially when you add those battery packs, it adds weight to a car and you want the weight to be down. So their goal was to, you know, can we add these, the, these, this hybrid powertrain, which gives us, you know, great low end torque and lots of other positive characteristics. 
without making the car a porker. Because, you know, the, the Tesla Model S is a, a tremendously heavy car, probably weighs twice as much as the Sloth Ferrari, right? You know, so you can't just stuff it with batteries. You'll destroy performance. And they were basically trying to balance how big can we make the battery pack until the point where the extra torque we get from the battery, the extra power we get from that battery pack, uh, is not uh, overcome by the weight of, of the pack itself. So they kept trying to balance it. If we do, you know, if you make it too big, it just you're making your car worse. If you make it too small, you're not doing enough to make it better. Yeah. So they're trying to sort of balance that, that equation there. Uh, and the first thing I did when I pulled up this car on, on the, when it was announced at the auto show and I went to the LaFerrari.com was I went to the technical specs thing and I wanted to see what is the weight? How much does this car weigh? And I don't think they even listed the weight at all. I'm looking at the site now. I think it's still not listed. Uh, let's see. Tech specs. Uh, I, anyway, I know, I know on the very first day there was no weight listed for the thing. And that is not reassuring to me they talked a lot about how they saved a lot of weight in other aspects of the car but i'm assuming it's all making up uh for the uh for the battery pack and they did of course talk about how it laps their test track five seconds faster than their previous car and all these other good things about it but uh weight i think still is a concern so this is kind of like a supercar transitional phase i don't know if they're transitioning entirely to electric or whatever but like this this system where you have two powertrains, where you've got your big, gigantic, good old-fashioned engine, incredibly high revving, very powerful, all good things, right? Uh, and also a little bit of an electric motor attached in there. You don't want to have two powertrains. Like the, the Model S design of big battery pack, one engine for each wheel, no gears, no nothing, uh, that is very simple and direct. It's just obvious that that design is never going to work for a supercar because your supercar ends up being 5,000 pounds. And that's, that's a non-starter unless you're the Bugatti Veyron or whatever the hell that thing weighs because then you, you know, uh, have, what is that, 16-cylinder engine in there? Uh, yeah, that's, yep, that, yep. that's a whole other issue. Uh, and it's so, quad turbo and it's 1,001 horsepower. I mean, at some point I mean, you can overcome weight. This is, I mean, this is getting up to it. So you've got, this is, what is it, uh, total? 700-ish, I think, 750-ish. So 963 horsepower they're they're claiming. Good the God, total, was I the, looking at torque then? That's the that's their claimed total horsepower with the you know with everything combined. Uh, uh, 800 uh, horsepower engine plus 150, I guess 163 for you know. Uh, in a car that presumably does not weigh a tremendous amount more than the last car, and you know the the proof is in their numbers. So they say that it's five seconds faster on their track. Is a, I don't know how long the track is, but. Uh, you know, it it's faster, as they say. <laughs> well, 160, yes, 163 horsepower from this hybrid for the hybrid system. That is high. Can that you imagine trying to parallel park it with that big pointy nose? <laughs> well, you can't <laughs> you get it up over first. You, you can't get it over the the you know the skirt things. Yeah. So the rest of the car, like the aerodynamic aids, well, the active aerodynamic stuff. I, let me see if I can be wrong about F1 again and say that I think that's another area that F1 has more restrictions than street cars. <laughs> people can write in and tell me how wrong I am about that like basically in F1 their their goal is to make a competitive sport their goal is not to see how fast we can go I mean you just talked about how the engines were like V8s and V6s uh, whatever restrictions they have on, on the racing there is, to, is in trying to be in the name of fairness but there's no such thing as fairness when you're making a hypercar you just make it as fast as you can I guess you have legal restrictions you know for uh, the various countries it's going to be sold in but the, these active aero aids, basically flaps on the bottom and top of the car, uh, fall within the legal range of things that you can uh, 
drive on the road in most civilized countries. So, hey, no problem. Uh, so that, and yeah, that's one more thing that can break on your car. That's, <laughs> but you don't care. You're a millionaire. Exactly. Yeah. So th- that, I think, is another interesting innovation here, whereas I don't think the Enzo had any sort of active aerodynamics, at least not the, the degree of active aerodynamics. And it's interesting those active aerodynamics are not in service of going after the Veyron's top speed. Like, no one has, has wanted to touch that for so many years now. It's like, all right, well, they made this crazy car with a ridiculous amount of power, and its sole job was to be super-duper fast. Uh, and, you know, it was faster on tracks because it just had a tremendous amount of power. Even McLaren's not going after it. McLaren F1 was the big, you know, top-speed king for a long time, and their new P1 also has declined to participate in the go-after-the-Veyron top speed, and it's probably because to beat the Veyron's top speed, you have to compromise in so many other areas, and all these people would rather have a car that is more of an all-around supercar that does more than just hit the top speed just for the hell of it. Uh, so all these aero aids in LaFerrari are apparently not to help it, you know, go 260 mile an hour top speed. It's all about producing downforce and getting around the track faster, which I think is the appropriate uh, philosophy and mindset and stance for Ferrari to take rather than blindly chasing after the top speed crown, which is mostly meaningless because the the number of roads in the world where you can get over 260 miles an hour are probably uh, very small. Um, let's see what else we've got on this thing. He's got an LCD instrument cluster. Surprise. <laughs> Great. I mean, is it all, I 17 mean, inches? There's no no stopping. Not No, not that part. I mean, the, the thing in, in front of you. No, I, know front of you I know what you mean. Yeah. See, I feel uh, like, like a long time ago, John, back, when, back in the early days of your hypercritical podcast, um, which episode was the TV episode? It was like one. it was really early, right? The, f- the very first episode of TV, and then every visited it many times. Oh, okay. Well, you know, at the time you were discussing like you know your your process of buying a new TV and and trying to evaluate the different types of TVs that that were that had come out. This was about what two years ago, uh, and and just looking at you know the plasma and the LCD and all the little tricks that they did with the technology to try to make it better because. We had passed the point where the simple thing worked, or at least the simpler thing worked, and we had we had reached the point in TV technology where we are still today, uh, where in order to get more contrast, more brightness, faster refresh, whatever the case, uh, in order to improve the specs and to compete, the manufacturers ha- had to start doing all these like weird little tricks and hacks uh, to to pass these limits that they had found with the simpler options, and and I feel like when that happens to an industry. Uh, that tends to make products that are better in some ways, worse in others, way more complex, and often there's weird side effects to the decisions that they've made. And uh, it's it's often kind of questionable at the end whether overall we're better off or not. And uh, and I feel like that's where cars are, especially at the very high end like this. Uh, that's where cars are today, where uh, we've we've already exhausted the value, I think, of a naturally aspirated engine i think we're going to see very very few of those in new car models going forward except for in the very low end um even i mean even like the honda accord and the toyota camry i would bet are going to be turbocharged fairly soon 
do you think that's probably that's, that's probably a safe assumption, right? For that's a, that's a that's a, a industry wide trend is lower right. displacement with turbos, right? Well, but but I think you're right. The only the only complaint I would lodge with with regard to that assertion is that if you are used to driving a naturally aspirated car and you drive nearly any turbocharged car, no matter how good of a turbocharged motor it is, you still feel that lag. It's the same kind of lag that I would feel in two naturally aspirated cars, one of which is a stick and one is not, where you get that kind of lag from the torque converter and that, that disconnection between the motor and the, and the drivetrain. And you get that as well in a turbocharged car. And so while I completely agree with you guys that on the street, in most normal applications, that's where everything's going to be uh, turbocharged. But the, having driven some reasonably quick, naturally aspirated cars, like my friend Brian's 96 M3, the throttle response from those cars is just unbelievable. And you'll never get that with a turbocharger, even in the 335 and with the N54 and the N55, which are universally praised as having almost no lag. It's there, There's still enough lag that it would bother you. And so I, I don't know when specifically this would be used, except maybe track queens. But I just don't see turbochargers going – I don't see natural aspiration going completely out the window. And not to say that that's what well, you said, but I don't I think, think it will ever go away entirely. Well, now, you know, we're to the point now where uh, other factors that people want or, or that, it, that factors are, that are demanded by regulations, like environmental regulations, um, things that people want are becoming more important or there's being more demand for them than the benefits of a simpler design. Yeah, and, people aren't going. Mm-hmm. People aren't going low displacement turbo because they think it's better. They're going there because they're forced to. Right, because it's really efficient, and and it's a way to get more power without adding more. Yeah, it's, much a, way to, more it's a way to get to put smaller engines in. Smaller engines weigh less. Smaller engines with lower displacement use use less gas, but people still want to have adequate power. All right, so we'll give you a smaller engine that weighs less that has lower displacement, but we'll try to at least match the previous power by throwing in some turbos. Right, but see, but now like it. It's, it, we're going to start having all these asterisks on everything. Like, you know, the, the LaFerrari, it has these two different powertrains, one of which produces the, whatever, 800 horsepower, one of which produces the 163 horsepower. Uh, but the 163 horsepower is like a maximum, and I guess I'm sure it's possible that if you're driving it pretty hard uh, that you're probably not going to have full battery charge after a while. And, you know, you're going to, like, there's going to be times where the battery will run out. And and then the performance will suffer until you get enough battery power back and in you'll, there. Then you'll be down to only eight hundred horsepower. Right. <laughs> well, but still, <laughs> well, be, well, I bet the torque will be limping be along different. practically. But still, like there's going to be things like these little exceptions to to th- like as cars move into these complicated technologies, there's all these little exceptions. So like with yeah. turbos, at first, un- until they got very good, at least the big the big asterisk was lag, and, and I think we've we've minimized lag so far and i'm sure there's still a way to go um and 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 you're right that it's not eliminated uh, but we've certainly gotten very good at it but like as things get more complicated it becomes harder to say oh well it's it has x horsepower and even like like we discussed uh dcts a while back and uh people wrote in and, and informed us that you know with a dct it pre-selects the next gear that you're likely to pick but if you pick the other one in the other direction that it didn't pre-select, your shift times take longer. So your shift times take, a, take an unknown amount of time depending on what you're doing. So it's inconsistent. That's one of those things where like, we apply technology to, to make it better most of the time, but then there's this little asterisk that, oh, well, it's going to take longer if you do this one condition. Or, you know, like there's always th- – there's all these little exceptions as we make things more complex that 
overall, we are getting better off, but everything's just getting more complicated, and there, and we're, we just keep seeing like little tiny downsides to that, and that's going that's going to expand as these technologies mature. Now, but, yeah. going back a second about the turbo lag thing, I've found now now that I've regularly driven a turbo car and a non turbo car, uh, I have found that it's all about what you're used to. Like yes, when yes. I when I got the one M, I had never had a turbo car before, so I got the one M, and I mean, talk about turbo boost. I mean, that thing is insanely overboosted. Like when <laughs> when you step on it, it just kicks you in the butt forward. I mean, it is really really a strong boost. So I had it for a few months, and then I went to that racing day uh, where I got to drive the current M3 and M5, and the M3 is a naturally aspirated V8, as you said. What I found with the M3 was that because I was accustomed to that strong turbo engine in the 1M, the M3 felt like it was lacking high-end high end performance in the RPM range. Even though that's what everyone's been expecting out of cars forever, but I didn't have that. I had the turbo. So when I went to that, it was like, you know, from the beginning from, of, the, of the power range, of the RPM range, I was like, okay, this is really fast. But then as I got towards the top, I was like, wait, where's my boost? You know, I expect this to be kicking me in the butt right now, and it's not. You know, so I, I think it's... It's just about whatever you're used to, and that feels normal to you. And, and then when you get into the other thing, it feels underpowered either in the early part of the range or in the, le- in the later part of the range, depending on what you're used to. I would agree with that. I think that's, that, that's a very fair uh, way of looking at it. And I don't know. I mean, I don't mind turbocharged cars. And everything you, ju- you guys just said is right. You know, the, the Subaru had a single turbo that I, I don't know a measurement off the top of my head, but it, 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 it very qualitatively, it felt laggier than the 335 does um i those are the only turbocharged cars i've driven with any regularity and the 335 doesn't feel much like a turbocharged car it feels much more like a very small v8 which is exactly what bmw was aiming for and to that end i i really enjoy it now you put me in in john's accord with a proper transmission and no turbochargers and i'll probably say well it isn't as quick as the 335 but man is that throttle response good so, I don't know. John, have you driven many turbocharged cars? You said your, your parents' Volvo was. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that was it was an old-style turbo where there's no engine, and then all of a sudden there's an engine. Like, you know, there was, it's like that, a that was it's the like yep. discontinuous power band entirely. And that's, that's, and that's the exciting part about turbos is that it's not so much you – know, if you had smoothly gone up to that level of power, it wouldn't be as dramatic as you going and before – like, it, there was tremendous turbo lag, but and when it kicked in – I don't think it was a very strong turbo, but, like, the, the engine wasn't that powerful, but the turbo really, you know, you noticed it. Uh, and that was exciting, you know. I mean, c- going from cars that had no power at all to one that, you know, had this big jump to power was, was good. Uh, at the same token – I've always this is kind of a engineering nerd type thing. I've always respected car companies that produce naturally aspirated engines and then brag about their horsepower per liter, right? Like that was the whole. <laughs> I enjoyed that race. Like Acura had the crown with the Integra for a while, I think, and I think Ferrari had it with the uh, 355 at one point. Had the highest uh, you know output per uh, per liter. I, that is kind of like a gentleman's, like a gentleman's race for you know. We're not going to use turbocharger. We, yes, we could. We could just pump air into this engine and get more power, but that's unseemly. And we're we're going to see how much <laughs> we can get, you know. And uh, thinking about uh, Marco's analogy with like LCDs and how they're hacked to death to try to make them be decent, I think the appropriate analog for LCDs and how you know we've changed them a lot 
and and in the car world is the internal combustion engine because the internal combustion engine would be like look you could squirt flammable stuff in here and light it and it pushes these <laughs> things up that's great and then immediately everyone sees okay well that's good and all but there are some problems with this engine for one thing when you run it too fast it explodes uh so that's bad uh sometimes it gets hot and melts together we gotta think of something to do about that too uh, and you know, it, we have all these belts and pulleys and they aren't great and they kind of wear out and when they break, bad things happen. So if we could maybe get some, you know, so like we've been hacking the internal injustice engine for all of its terrible flaws. Oh, you know, it shakes the whole car apart. Well, maybe if we put a different amount of cylinders in it, it'll be better balanced. But if we have the lower number, maybe we could put bounce shafts in and like, you know, timing chains and overhead cams and direct injection, you know, if we're, instead of spraying the gas through a tube into this thing, maybe we could just squirt it right into the engine, you know. All, we've just been hacking this friggin' thing to death forever. It is the, the internal combustion engine is the LCDs of today, where they have all those timing tables on how to transition a pixel from one color for, to another color by passing through this other color because that's actually the fastest path, and they just pre-program in all those things. All that crazy stuff and dynamic backlights on TVs and everything, that's what we're doing to the internal combustion engine. Contrast this with the new technology, which is, you know, like in the Tesla, which is still in the stage where, like, hey, we can hook up batteries to an electric motor and it goes... And we haven't yet begun to really hack that to death, and maybe we won't. Maybe it's just an inherently simpler technology. But for one thing, transmission goes out the window. We just hook up the friggin' engine to the wheel. You know, we're good to go there. All, all these things about torque, you know, not having a low-end torque or anything, 100% of your torque uh, uh, available in electrical engines is available at zero RPM, which is very different from, you know, the things we have to do with, with regular, uh, you know, internal combustion engines. So this, com- this combination seems like the hackery, but I think internal combustion engines are really the ultimate hack job and we continue to push them and push them that's what the low displacement turbo is all about it's like if you would if you took one of these low displacement turbos from some crappy economy car and brought it back in time to like the 50s and said we have an engine for you and it weighs you know <laughs> 200 pounds and it displaces this much and this is and this is the mileage and this is the power they'd be like is this from a supercar like no it's a toyota echo you know <laughs> like it's unbelievable what we've managed to wring out of the internal combustion engine which is why it's got such legs uh, battery density, like power density of batteries, like how much energy can you put in how much mass, we are much slower at advancing. And that's why you all have the hydrogen cars and all that other stuff, you know, or if we could, we could run our cars and on, we could run our cars on tiny little, uh, uh, Mr. Fusion type things, or maybe use depleted uranium <laughs> or non-depleted uranium, as the case may be, you know, like other things have better energy mass than gasoline, but currently battery technology is not one of them. Well, and gasoline so, also has a heck of a lot of advantages uh, in just practicality. Like, for instance, if you if you crash into a car so hard that the gas tank ruptures, it won't explode immediately. Uh, you can't quite guarantee that for hydrogen, <laughs> and 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 there's there's like all sorts of other like transporting well, for, well, like on, on a tanker truck. Transporting hydrogen is kind of dangerous uh, compared to uh, gasoline as I mean, well. It's, like, there's it's debatable whether the hydrogen is more dangerous. I think the, more, the only thing that's really, really, uh, you could say hydrogen has disadvantage versus gas is that it has to be under pressure. Right. And that adds well, a tremendous complication. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know about the explosiveness or any of those other factors, if that's, a, if, if that's just because of the pressures involved or not. But, like, have you guys heard of the Fisker karma? Yes. yes. In fact, Fisker just quit, didn't he? Mr. Fisker, I think, just left the company or left the board or something. Yeah, I mean, that company was probably never going anywhere. But the design is like the Chevy Volt, where it's got a gasoline engine, but the engine is not connected to the wheels. It's just there as a generator to charge the batteries, and the batteries drive electric motors that make the car go. 
Right. And, uh, and that, I think I, that's a pretty elegant solution to the hybrid range problem, or I mean to the electric car range problem. I mean, obviously that's a transitional technology until we can really you know, get to the point where battery density is awesome and we can start doing um, you know, longer range cars and, uh, and maybe faster recharges on the highway. But uh, until we get there, which is probably at least a decade off, uh, I think these, uh, I think things like the Volt and the Fisker are, are really a very smart compromise. Well, we, I'd, I'd like to see it. We should have done that before the show if we'd actually prepared. But like a graph of uh, energy density and batteries, because I think it is not improving all that fast. Like you said, ten years, but they always just say ten years. Like it's just right. made up. Where like, show me the graph, <laughs> right? What is how how are, how are we advancing? Because obviously, there's t- lots of effort put on increasing energy density of batteries because it helps laptops, cell phones, tablets, like there's many applications to this. Cars are just one of the many applications. So it seems it's not for lack of trying. Like if someone could do a tenfold increase in energy density and batteries and, you know, and maintain like a reasonable recharge time, like fuel cells were the other thing that was going to save us, but still not here. Right. I think progress is slow on those fronts. Whereas, and I bet I would like to see that graphed against like mileage and power output for cars, because during all this time when we've been complaining about all these fuel efficiency stuff, the average power uh, available in, in any car, pick any car range, you know, consumer, sports car, whatever, has just been going up, 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 because that's what we like. We like more power, right? Uh, so we've been making really good progress hacking the internal combustion engine to not just, like, maintain the status quo with better mileage, but give us better mileage and more power and more torque and better torque curves and less noise and vibration and harshness and, you know, just improving on all fronts probably faster than battery technologies have been improving. Uh, so I'm, unless there's going to be some sort of breakthrough in battery technology in my lifetime, I'm having a hard time seeing the internal combustion engine ever get completely dethroned. The balance of power in, underneath the cars may change in terms of how much battery, how much electric, how much gas. Uh, but any technology that's going to beat internal combustion has a tough road ahead of it because internal combustion keeps getting better and, uh, We've worked on it for a long time, and battery technology and, you know, carbon and fuel cells have not been getting better fast enough to, like, quickly swamp and overtake. Like, when the Prius came out, I remember people were like, oh, in five years, all these internal combustion engines will be gone. Well, no, (laughs) not, you mean, not unless battery technology gets much better faster. And if it does, you'll notice, because suddenly your, your cell phone will last all week without charging. When that happens, watch out, internal combustion engine, but, you know, right now... Oh, and the, the other limiting factor is that, yeah, maybe your cell phone does go all week without charging, but it's only because the internal components now sip juice like crazy, but uh, your car has to carry around you at the very least, and you're not getting any thinner. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're American. Yeah, and also, you know, as we were saying a minute ago, like, really, gasoline is extremely convenient for so many reasons. Like, especially, you know, you look at what Tesla's doing with these superchargers and everything, and that's that's a big step, but... Uh, being able, like having to stop for forty five minutes or a half hour or whatever it is, I don't want I don't want Tesla to sue me and and threaten to lose a hundred million dollars of value, but uh, you know whatever it is, half hour forty five minutes for a full charge, uh, that's very very different to stop on a road trip every two hundred miles for that than to stop every five hundred miles for five minutes anywhere. No matter where you are, you can find a gas station within a few miles of where you are in all likelihood uh, to be able to stop there, refill your car, and have another 500 miles of range. I mean, that's that's awesome, and only gasoline today can do that. And and you're right, it doesn't seem like the alternatives are advancing quickly enough to be able to replace that anytime soon. 
I would agree with that. It, there's an argument that uh, several people have been making. My father said this to me on numerous occasions that we're never going to really be able to break off the the oil teat, if you will, until either we really do run out of oil or it just gets taxed. Well, candidly, to you know, European levels in America, and then suddenly we'll say, "Oh, we must find a way." And then suddenly someone will have an epiphany and decide, "Oh, we can do this other thing much cheaper no, and but, better." But we won't dinosaurs because we'll just do what Europe does. <laughs> like every every time the gas prices are getting near another dollar interval, uh, everyone predicts, "Oh, once it crosses X dollars a gallon, <laughs> then we're then we're going to see major so you know major shifts in demand and and electric things taking over." And in practice, it crosses that level. Everyone freaks out for a week, and then that's just the new normal level of what gas costs. And and yeah. so it doesn't. And yeah, you know, food prices rise, trucker prices, you know, like all this stuff happens in the economy. But in people's minds, uh, gas crossing a certain level doesn't really change anything. Now, certainly, you know, to go to European type uh, pricing for gas, it would. I think it would mostly double our prices. Is that roughly accurate? We'd be I paying so. more like eight dollars a gallon, um, and and that's. We have to convert to liters somehow, but I, I don't, <laughs> that's uh, you know that would certainly like a doubling is obviously a, a bigger change than just going to five dollars or something, and uh, and that might change people's minds a little bit more severely. But uh, I think we can see that already. We can look at Europe. We can see places that do have way more expensive gas than we do, and they haven't all switched to electric. They just buy smaller displacement engines. They they care more about efficiency. They buy smaller cars. You know, like that's that's what we're going to see. And and we do see that now already. You know, when as gas pricing goes up, we we are seeing that demand shift just very very slowly. But there's never some big trigger event that suddenly makes everyone willing to tolerate such a, things like the downsides of electric cars. Well, there's two things that work here. There's energy density, which you just mentioned, and I finally did look up a graph, and, and according to this graph, we have doubled energy density in 10 years, from basically from the introduction of the EV1 to the Tesla. So uh, there's progress, but it's that's not doubling good. every year, it's doubling every 10 years. So that's 10 times slower than we would expect from you know transistor density or whatever. Uh, and the other factor is cost. All right, so fine, say we could double energy density in one year instead of 10. If it still costs 50 grand for you, like real costs without government, you know, subsidies and, and rebates and all this other stuff, to get you just any car with, with uh, a reasonable range with a battery in it, that's not so good. I mean, I, you know, we have all these government subsidies that make the Model S as cheap as it is at 100 grand, and like the Chevy Volt is like 40 grand, which is still expensive. But the Chevy Volt is not really 40 grand. It's way more expensive than that type right. if you're just if you're paying the full cost. And so these increases in energy density have to come along with economical increases in energy density, right? Because the batteries are so big and, you know, the, the, the things, physics are so immovable. You have to move the people over the roads through the air. Uh, you can't, like, that energy barrier is not going to get any lower, right? Yeah, I mean, it's worth thinking about. I mean, here's a question. You know, right now, uh, like, you know, as you can probably tell by my ranting about range and, and refill times, I wouldn't buy something like the Tesla today, because I frequently take long road trips that are, you know, like 200 miles long or 250 miles long, where it sounds like I would probably not make it on a full charge of a Tesla, or it would be it would be uncomfortably close, so I probably, sh- I probably wouldn't want to attempt that. Um, anyway, so like, I-, I think it's an interesting question for us to answer. Um, how much range do you think an electric car would need for you to make it your only car? Like I think for me that number is probably 500 miles. 
and, and I'm, I'm basing that on like I would want it to be if I was taking a multi-day road trip, which granted I don't really do the, most of the time, but but if I was taking a multi-day road trip, I would want it to be roughly the number of miles I would want to drive per day before just getting tired and wanting to save the rest of the next day. So I think 500 is is a decent number for that. But that's, that's 500 that real-world miles, though, not 500, like, if you absolutely stretch everything to the max and drive perfectly on a perfectly flat road with no wind. I'm talking real usage mileage, so it would probably need an advertised capacity of more like 700 miles. But you're basing that on, on the idea that it takes you a really long time to refuel and that you can't refuel anywhere. Like that those is are the true. Two th- those are the two things because you're not insisting on 500 mile range in a gas car because you're like, I'll just stop at a gas station. Big deal, no big deal, right? Although a lot of cars uh, so, do have 500 mile ranges. Uh, well, yeah, some very few, very very few. But yeah, BMWs are among those cars that have ridiculous ranges. Uh, no, they're not. They have terrible not mine. Some of them. Yeah, <laughs> some, I fill I fill my car constantly. Well, some of them do. I just what was I just reading about? I was just reading about some car with a BMW with a 500 mile range. And, uh, was it a diesel? Probably the M550D, which is ridiculously awesome and we'll never get it in the u.s yeah it might have been a diesel uh, but, but anyway like so if you have a, one of these cars like the volt or the karma where all right so the range is 200 miles or 150 miles even or some, something a reasonable amount of miles, but you just fill up the gas tank when it runs out right at any gas station and it's still an electric car and you still get you know 50 miles per gallon or whatever or 60 uh then suddenly you don't your criteria of 500 mile range is not a big deal. You're just talking about pure play entirely electric cars because you know that given current technology it takes forever to charge them. You can't just stop for 10 minutes and you know fill up the tank again. You're going to be there right. for an hour, 2 hours, something ridiculous like that. It's really extending your trip. And I'm frequently uh, like I'm frequently in rural areas where you know there you might have to drive 5 miles before you see the first gas station. Uh, I think it's going to be fairly long before those places have high-speed electric charge stations. And high speed is still like a half an hour, you know, or right, exactly. Or more. <laughs> it still sucks if if you don't if you weren't planning like you know Tesla's um, Tesla's uh, PR kind of says, oh well, you know if you if you're stopping for a meal, well, you might as well recharge your car. It'll it'll just take as long for you to go in and have a meal. Well, I don't know about you, but when I stop for a road trip, first of all, I like not having to stop for a half hour. Like, if I don't really want a meal, I don't really need a meal, thank you. I'd just like to fill up, please. Um, with gas, that <laughs> takes five minutes. Um, but even, even if I'm stopping for a meal, what they're, really, what they're really telling you is to get a full charge, you need to stop for, like, 45 minutes. Or, you know, that's, that's a bit long for a road trip meal for me. Like, when we stop, you know, even at a rest stop, you know, maybe if we go to the bathroom and get gas and get food, maybe it might be 25, 30 minutes. You know, yep, like it's, same here. And, and we're not likely to do that uh, in the middle of most road trips. You know, like most road trips are going to be like, for us, it's going to be like that 200 to 300 mile range where we can make it the whole way without uh, gas or food, probably. You know, so, and if we do stop for either of those, we're going to want to make it quick. Um, similarly, like, I mean, obviously I'm new to this whole having a kid thing, but. For, for us, you know, I, I assume this is similar with other parents. Um, you know, the baby has his own schedule, and if we stop for a half hour at an unplanned time, that's going to really backfire in a bad way in all likelihood. Uh, and whereas, like, you know, if I'm just stopping for five minutes and the baby's trying to sleep and he only wants to sleep when the car's going fast, okay, I can stop for five minutes, he might sleep through it, if he wakes up, he'll scream for three minutes, and then we go. 
You know, that's, that's very different from, okay, here's an unplanned half-hour-long stop. And, and some of this is, you know, you could argue some of this would just be changing your habits uh, and, and planning for these things and accommodating for these things. But that's not a very strong selling point in a market that's already established. Like, gas is really convenient. We have gas everywhere available to us for reasonable prices for the most part uh, with very fast fill-up times. And so gas is very convenient, and, and to, to, for somebody to spend more temporarily, to spend more on an electric car, uh, and to have all these downsides that go with it, uh, I think that's a pretty weak uh, proposition. Well, I, but I think the, the range thing is mostly not, I mean, not that it's not important, because it is for, the, for all the reasons that you listed, but it's, it's mostly, it's not what's preventing electric cars from uh, being more popular. Cost is the problem, because so many people do not take long trips, or have two cars, and you can have one for the long trips and one not for the long trip. Uh, you just need to make the cars much less expensive, because then people will consider them, they'll say, hey, I'm saving all this money on gas, why wouldn't I buy this car? Well, you wouldn't buy it, because it's 30 grand, that's why you wouldn't buy it. You can, right. For $15,000, you can get a Honda Fit that has almost as good mileage, not quite, you know what I mean? But if you if, if they become price competitive, then, you know, people buy little cars to just commute back and forth to work. My work is like five miles away from my house. I, you know, I drive 10 miles a day, and, you know, I'm back home. I would buy a pure electric car to commute to and from work, in a second, if th- if they didn't cost so much money, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, uh, I mean you're right. The cost is definitely the num- the number one factor. But <coughs> you got to figure also a lot of people. You know, you see this w- a lot with people who buy SUVs or pickup trucks. A lot of people will buy a car thinking that they will use it in some fashion that requires a certain type of car, whether it's a, a truck or a big SUV or something like that. They'll say, "Oh well." I'll occasionally go up in the mountains, or I'll occasionally need to haul something. And it might, they might only need to do that once a year, or like twice during the entire time they have the car. But they still buy the car, you know, kind of aspirationally, thinking, oh, I, I'm going to need it for those times. You know, and they don't consider things like, oh, well, I'll just rent a truck for a day when I need one, or something like that. Like, those options usually aren't considered. Um, so like a lot of people will will buy a car that is way more than their, quote, needs uh, because of some something they have in their head that they think they'll do or that they want to do, even though they might not get, ever get around to it. That's going to be the big problem after cost becomes less of an issue. With electric cars that have limited ranges or range issues, that people are like, well, what if I want to drive to Ohio? You know, like that's, that then it's not going to, I'm going to have to stop for hours in the middle. Like that, even even if you only drive to Ohio once a year, or even if you haven't ever done it, and you might want to someday do it, by the way, I wouldn't recommend driving to Ohio, just as an example. But if <laughs> you do, you might as well at least stop at Steak and Shake because they're pretty good. But uh, yeah, through it, oh, it's a boring state to drive through. That's, oh, that's, <laughs> that's I mean, it's, it's rough. At the, at the very least, if they can get the cost down, you can immediately you, then you have a real market because you can immediately sell to all the people who already buy cars that they just know are going to be little dinky commuters. Or you know, Europe, where like you know, you go too far and you're out of your country. So it's it's not like you know, <laughs> how, how long a trip can you really take? You know, uh, they, they have the, the Euro Rail to go on the long trip and stuff like that. Like there, there is a market for small commuter cars that really never do go anywhere, and people will buy them, uh, especially if they're cheap. And not just cheap, but cheap. Reliable, like all there are many advantages to an electric car. This just has fewer fewer things that can go wrong in it, you know. So presumably by that point, you know, no more transmission, no more muffler. Like you could seal the freaking thing up and try to make it more weatherproof because everything can be you know all sealed up and the technology is nailed down. It it really will be a much more reliable, much more pleasant thing to use. 
in this hypothetical future where it doesn't cost 30 grand to, to get yourself one that, that's any good. Uh, then you've got, you are immediately got, let's say, quarter, maybe even half of the market. You still don't have those people who think they're going on a long trip and stuff like that, but that's where hybrids can come in where you're like, all right, fine. You've got a gasoline engine, it charges the batteries. If, if you run out of juice, just fill up a gas station, you're good to go. Uh, then that works out. But, uh, I mean, I, I think it just all gets back to those those stupid batteries. Like, all these things are just all hypothetical because right now it's just... Yep. It's just a non-starter, and I think there's no amount of like, oh well, if government subsidized these cars, it would just, you know, all they would have to subsidize them in perpetuity until we get another, you know, another twenty years where we get two more doublings of energy density, assuming current trends continue. Because this graph looks like a line; it does not look like a curve. So it's not like this is accelerating or decelerating. It's just slow, steady progress, right? And internal combustion engines keep getting better as well. So, uh, and here's I, I a question. I mean, think about think about this. First of all, uh, I have two questions, I guess. Do you do you foresee a future? Uh, and, and I'm sure this is probably a ways out. Um, but do you foresee a future where electric cars are cheaper than gas cars because they are inherently simpler? You know, like how long do you think it'll be before that happens? They're cheaper now if you don't include any batteries in them. <laughs> <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> that's because that's you know that's that's what kills them. The, like those. Two electric motors that have drive the wheels compared to the number of parts and the precision they have to right. be made for for an internal combustion engine. Yeah, I, I mean, electric cars should be cheaper, as, assuming they can figure out the battery thing. As everything else about them, there's so much stuff you don't need. There's all, so many parts go away. So many things oh, yeah. don't need to be manufactured. Just so much stuff just disappears, and it, it really like looking at that Tesla in the Tesla store just shows you like, wow, regular cars are filled with a lot of crap that you know that you don't strictly need because Although, look at this thing it looks when you do add a lot of i mean I, i'm sure it doesn't come close to closing the gap but you do add a lot of weird complex parts for for energy saving purposes like regenerative braking things and like various tricks for all the electrical components in the car to save power like y- yeah, you are that's adding like solid, some that's complexity. like solid state state stuff it's the type of thing that gets you know gets cheap it's not right. like it's not like precision a precision machine pieces of metal flying past each other right uh, with little explosions with oil <laughs> with, with yeah with exhaust gases and heat and noise and yeah it's it's way See, less I, like I I don't know though because I think you're oversimpl you're you're oversimplifying a bit in the sense that yes the engine unequivocally gets a lot simpler but you still have a drivetrain you still have suspension you still have wheel bearings you still have steering but you don't you, you don't have, have a drivetrain to speak of when the electric motors are hooked up to the wheels I guess right. I guess do you that's even have axles point. I mean you know, I mean you still have suspension components and stuff like that that can wear out but like and you also still have the other thing you don't you might not think about when you go look at the Teslas they still also have to have like on the Tesla they have a uh, you know the the pump for the for the power steering. I think it's not electrical power steering, which is strange. I think it's actually a hydraulic pump. They have the, the pump That's for the gas. Strange. You know the the hydraulic brakes. Uh, they have the the little thing that's going to run the compressor for the air conditioner. Right, all these are electric powered things. Right, but the, it's not just the things that drive the wheels. You do need something for like the fans exactly. and the, you know, the accessories. It's, it all ends up being electric, but the sheer amount of stuff that isn't there is just so tremendous that these other things. It's kind of weird that they look like these little, you know, they're like the size of softballs. Like, oh, there's, you know, there's a little air conditioning compressor, and there's a little pump, and there's a little thing for the fan. That stuff will continue to coalesce into, like, I would presume some little single blob in this future where all cars are electric or uh, most cars are electric, where they'll really have it nailed down. It's like, it's like you know, the LCDs and the internal combustion engine. We have had so many years to hack on the internal combustion engine 
this electric motor is like the simple version before we started to hack on it to death. Before we've, I mean, I know electric motors have been around together, but we're talking about electric car drivetrains. We'll figure out all the tricks that you have to do to make an electric car's drivetrain plus human creature comforts be in an efficient package, and we'll iterate on that. And I think that iteration will look a little bit more like iteration in the technology industry than sort of the mechanical reciprocating metal lubricated parts iteration, <laughs> which looks more like you know, mechanical iteration. Like you, you, there's, there's certain barriers to materials and cost of manufacturing and physical tolerances that are pretty immovable, and it's really tough to make good progress in those. Whereas if, once we can make something electric, we can just keep shrinking that and decreasing the power and you know, doing all that stuff. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. And, and I mean, if you think about it, I'll probably get beat up for this, but to some degree, the automobile as it stands today is an extension of the industrial revolution in that it's just a very, very, revol- it's a machine that's been refined, like you've been saying, for over and over and over again for 100 years. But to, again, to your point, it, I'm curious to see what the future brings in terms of electric cars, because now we're moving, just like you said, more towards the information age, towards transistors, towards solid state, and and. I feel like it's time, but just like you guys have said, either we need much better batteries or we need much quicker charging, which you could argue is saying the same thing twice. And I just, I don't see how we're going to get there anytime soon, but you know, I didn't think I'd be holding a computer in my pocket 24 hours or well, not 24 hours a day, but 10 hours a day. But you don't hold it there all the time. Well, no, not when I'm sleeping, Marco. You don't sleep with jeans on and a pocket with a cell phone? No, no, sorry. Nor do I have a mock turtleneck or anything like that. This episode right. is sponsored by Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace Commerce, as in particular, provides a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution to your site. And so you already can use Squarespace to host your blog, your portfolio, your business website, your podcast even, including this podcast. Uh, now you can also sell stuff on Squarespace. You can sell digital goods, physical goods, either, both. It's integrated into all Squarespace templates you, and uh, there's fast merchant accounts. It, it's integrated with Stripe, and Stripe is awesome. You can accept credit cards right on your site. Believe me, doing this yourself really sucks. You don't want to do it yourself. Uh, Square, uh, um, Squarespace takes care of all of it for you. It's awesome. Single interface for order management. You can track orders, provide customer email updates. You can print shipping labels. You can add coupons. All that stuff, doing it yourself is so complicated. Other platforms are way more complicated, usually more expensive. You can do it all in Squarespace. They don't, they don't even take a cut of your sales. It's just it, All this stuff is included in their new business plan, 24 bucks a month if you pay annually, uh, 30 bucks month to month. Squarespace is awesome. Even if you aren't selling anything, put up your blog, put up your portfolio, put up your podcast, put up your website. It's great. Those plans start at $10 a month. Uh, you can support our show by uh, using the offer code NEUTRAL3 at checkout to save an additional 10%. And our thanks to Squarespace for once again sponsoring Neutral. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, so time for automatic. Yes. Wait, are we done with LaFerrari? Anyone have any comments? We were still talking about LaFerrari. Yeah, this is a long (laughs) tangent. The only thing I think I'd like to add is that it it's it's one of those things where, in retrospect, it seems inevitable, but it's surprising to me that we're just now looking at the the drivetrains that we have available to us and saying, hmm. You know, most internal combustion engines, they don't really come into their own until really late in the RPM range, generally speaking. And, you know, it's interesting. These electric engines we have have a million torque or torques, if you're Jeremy Clarkson, from zero RPM. 
And just like you said earlier, John, you know, why don't we put these together? And and I'm surprised that the Ferrari is the law, the Ferrari La Ferrari. See, you're doing it first, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is the first thing that there is the first real supercar application that I'm aware of that really puts the two together for nothing but performance. And it seems in retrospect so obvious. You have the electric motor when you're making no torque, and you have the internal combustion motor when you're making a ton of torque. Well, the batteries are always the problem. Like we would yeah, love to yeah. do that if we could just have the batteries not be inside the car. <laughs> they could, they could, we could beam the the electricity to the car through a high powered laser of some kind, maybe because that's you know that's well, the problem. They just don't want the, like the, the microwave plant so, in SimCity. Yeah, so now uh, like this, what this doubling of energy density of batteries in the past decade has now gotten to the point where now all this. I think that isn't the NSX doing this as well, having uh, some sort of hybrid thing. I don't know, uh, but anyway, the the Porsche one. The BMW is. i8 is also doing it, but we aren't allowed to talk about BMW anymore because the show is too much about BMWs. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, this car is is basically, you know, it's an it's an eight hundred horsepower V twelve that that revs to nine thousand two hundred and fifty RPM, which is insane. Uh, and then just a little bit of electricity, just a little bit of extra oomph, like made the batteries as small as we possibly can. Not a big deal. A little bit of regenerative thing. Here you go. Like, and and they show the little they show the graph of the torque curves of like we'll overlap these curves. Here's the engine. Here's the electric motor, and we add the two curves together. Uh, of course, the, the electric motor's torque curve eventually starts to tail off at very high RPM, barely, but it does tail off a little bit, whereas the gas engine has a peak later on and then slowly starts to go down. But, right. Uh, do do know, you think it'll get to the to point say. also where, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, my theory about whatever you're used to is what you think is normal between turbo and naturally aspirated engines. Um, imagine once people get used to electric cars, all electric cars, uh, to go from that to a gas engine car, the gas engine car must just feel incredibly clunky and ancient by comparison. Yeah, you know, it'll by not feel having anemic. all that torque that you have available with electric, you know, by having this weird, complicated engine that's you know vibrating and loud, relatively speaking, uh, you know that it's got to just feel like I don't know, like it'd be like riding a like riding like a rail cart that's tugged behind a steam engine for us today like it, <laughs> it, would, it would be like using a crt monitor i think that's the closest one because like once we cross that divide no one wants to go back to crt it's like oh that curve thing with the staticky stuff and the big giant ways of time. so much yeah. space yeah, remember divergence uh, or convergence whatever it was that yeah. would make the pixels misalign their three colors oh it's because you had pc monitors Terrible oh, things. here we go. All right, before we go down that, before we go down that rabbit hole, are we done with the Ferrari La Ferrari? Well, I know. What See, there's, there's, there's the no non douchey way to say that. You no, can't. You, just, if you are say, we done are with we talking La about La Ferrari? Well, that's just come on. That sounds terrible. You can't. I couldn't say that in a conversation. I could say it. I got used to saying we. So styling <laughs> is it ugly? Is it uglier than the Enzo, or is it not uglier than the Enzo? Not. See, this is just not the kind of car I would ever buy. So I, I really can't judge it. I mean, it looks. It almost looks to me like a like a cartoon car. Like I, I just it, this this has never entered my world of things I would ever consider driving around See, in. I, I don't think it looks like a cartoon because if you look at that, what is that? The Lamborghini oh, something God. with a V, Vinio yeah, or something oh, like that. It's terrible. That looks like a cartoon car. Ferrari, I I feel like has been has the best styling among the top tier supercars because they make their cars interesting and not they don't look like lozenges. They don't look like. <laughs> a, a smooth stone polished in a river like they have personality but they don't look like something that a six-year-old would draw with like fins and wings and a whole bunch of other stuff sticking out of it so well uh, barely never like seen... something an eight-year-old would draw right <laughs> yeah well no i think i think this there is a sophistication to this i think this particular one is much 
a much more successful incarnation of this sort of style of car than the Enzo was. The Enzo had some awkward bits on it, and all these cars are basically like a carbon fiber tub bolted to an engine with suspension on it, and then they had to figure out how to put a car body over it. So kind of like an F1 car, like styling is not... They they have limited freedom in styling with this car because this car is not about just looking beautiful. This is their top end performance car, and if you have to compromise between styling and performance, and this this is the car where Ferrari says, actually, no, we got to hold the line on performance because the whole point of this car exists, and it costs a bazillion dollars, so it better be fast. But I think they do a much better job with the styling than their competitors, including the McLaren P1, which I think looks like a, a giant fish or snail or some other kind of <laughs> ugly thing. Uh, I still think the other Ferraris are better looking than this, but they they can be because they they can afford to be because they don't have to be so uncompromising about performance. But uh, I, I give this styling a pretty big thumbs up, especially after the dark times of the Enzo and the F50, which were not attractive cars. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think it looks good, but yeah, I just it, it I can't really judge because it's not for me. Like I don't so, know, like for me, like 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 learning a car. Like I can look at a really nice looking car, but if I if I later learn that uh, that like the inside is kind of like the interior is kind of crappy or it doesn't ride very well or it's just like really impractical, that's it's kind of like like finding out that a really attractive person is like really crazy or stupid or mean. <laughs> it's like you just like like I can't I can't enjoy looking at cars like this or looking at cars that I that I learn are, are bad in some other way, even if they look good. I, I lose the ability to enjoy that uh, once once I start thinking about, like, aspirationally, would I want to own this? And I think, eh, you know, no for all these different reasons. So I, I kind of can't enjoy it. So if you were in <laughs> the comedy of what I'm about to say is I'm asking the future owner of an M5, but Marco, money, no object. Uh, what what supercar do you think you would have? The M5. It could be for exactly the reason I just no, said. No, no, okay, Seriously. hypercar. Uh, let's, I, let's assume he said. Let's assume you have infinite money, which means you already have like a car for the family car, and you have the car for your everyday trips, and now you have this infinite pool of money. You're like, what about a car for the days when I just want to go to the track or just go out on the road and just fool around? No one else is going to drive in this car. It could have one seat for all you know. This is the sole purpose of this car. <laughs> right. It has its own exactly. separate house that it lives in with a staff that takes care right, of it. Right next and to your house with your, with your in- intact yeah. garage that doesn't have and when, and when you want it, you just walk up and a chauffeur brings it out for you and you get in. What car is that car? Honestly, I don't know. I've never thought about that because, well, first of all, in many cases, I think the M5 would still be that car. Um, oh, no, it would not. But, but I just, I just think, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't fantasize about getting into some other kind of, like, super high-end car. So I've, I've never even considered what my options even are. Yeah, I think, it, like, I can imagine you being the type of person who would, like, to figure out what it is, like, now you've got this infinite money and you've got nothing to do with your, your time except for, you know, figure out your stable of cars. And you're like, I want the car that I'm just going to go and blast around roads and have fun with. You might end up with something like an Ariel Atom because you may drive that and say, woohoo, that's the biggest blast. It's, it's insanely fast and it's yeah. open, so it's a new sensation you don't get for something else uh, that has supercar-like performance. Is also ugly as sin, yep. so maybe that's not a factor for you in, <laughs> when purchasing this type of car. But, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just... Like uh, the, one of the reasons why I like the M5 so much is because it is all of those things to me. Like I can I can have my cake and eat it too. Like I can have all of those. Like for me, it does all those supercar roles that I want. Uh, you know, in my fantasy world, 
but it's also a practical everyday car and it's comfortable and it has air conditioning and a good radio. Like it has all those things. Like it, it, that's why I like it so much. And well, I've, I mean, I've a, always a, liked it's sports It's a balance sedans. of things. It weighs much more than some, you know, sure, small yeah. sporty car. It's much slower than all these other supercars we're talking about in ways that you would actually notice, not like, oh, it's a tenth of a second slower. Like, right. these things are under two seconds to 60. You, you would notice that difference. It's, like, twice as fast, practically. But where and, would I be going know. that I could even – I mean, I, I don't even – I can't even use the M5's capacity where, where I live and where I drive. Even if I was going to a track, I would – like the M5 is so good on the track, it's so far beyond my abilities as a driver to even take advantage of that power that I feel like if I had something even more powerful, I, the only reason, the only way I would be able to really take advantage of it is if I became a full time track driver and got really good at that and oh, then was able to. What? Oh, on a, I was going to say, on a track, I think you would prefer uh, something. Not like a Miata, but maybe like the 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 FRS or, or Subaru BRZ. Uh, not because it would be faster on the track, but because like if, if we gave you a choice, of, like you get to lap this track in your M5, and then they gave you a much lighter weight car that is just you know better suited to the track. Even if you went around the track slower because it didn't have as much power, I think you right. would have more fun because it's like better suited to the track. And oh that's yeah, what, definitely. That's what this section of your your stable of cars is for. Is not necessarily to make, I mean, that's why I said Ariel Adam, even though it is ridiculously fast. It could be something that is slower than your other car, but it's just more fun because it's like an amusement park ride. And it feels different when you're not swinging 4,000 pounds around corners when you're swinging half of that around corners. It just feels different. And sure. they even feel faster while not being faster. Honestly, I, I think, I think a, uh, something like the uh, Tesla Roadster might even be the better choice for something like that. I don't think they make that anymore, but yeah, I can. If they the did, like, I, I think you would like a, the Model S. You should probably actually take a test drive in that because the quality. They wanted of being five thousand dollars for a test drive. Oh, that's. Not good. I said but no the, thanks. <laughs> the, the experience of being in that car, like, I don't think it'll convince you to buy one, but it is a different enough experience from being in a regular gas car, and it is pretty high endy feeling to oh, yeah. be I, in that car. But with the low end torque and the silence and the just the novelty of it, it is a different experience. Uh, that you know, gives you a preview of what what cars may be like sometime in the distant yeah, future. Yeah, I would love to ride in a Model S. I've just I haven't had the chance yet. But uh, I mean, and granted, I haven't tried that hard. Like I went to that to the one store in the mall by me, and they wanted five grand, so I said no thanks. But you know, I'm sure I could I could email them and say, hey, I'm a car podcaster. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe you can give me a free press ride or a loaner for a weekend. <laughs> one drove behind me on my way home today. Oh yeah, was that the yeah, all five miles? Yeah, no, he, it was too long behind me. I, I was getting nervous because it looked like he was coming up on me pretty fast. I'm like, maybe he doesn't know how to drive this thing yet. But it does, you know, because like I said, when I started, like you drive it, you can drive it almost entirely with the right foot where instead of hitting the brake, you just let off the gas and it's the right. equivalent of braking. So you can get into that mode where you're just driving like a golf cart with no brakes, you know, just letting up. Do you think Tesla uh, owners but, are going to have a lot of rear ending? Well, I, he was coming up on me really fast. I'm like, no, you might have to use the brake here. Use the brake. Like, I, I get paranoid about people. <laughs> coming up on me too fast and it was an older guy too and i'm you know an ageist and i was like wow. no, but he, he managed to stop in time and then he, he pulled into i believe he pulled into whole foods so there you go that is not a surprise at all not at and all. i say that as a fan of high-end cars and a whole foods customer but that yeah. is not a surprise at all yeah so you're so you're not going to nail down what kind of car you would have you say the m5 what about you casey absolutely unequivocally without a shadow of a doubt i would choose the wrong car which is an aston martin of really any flavor probably a dbs 
that's that's so wrong. But I can see the the uh, the value system you're using to pick that is is at the other extreme from Marco. But I'm I think I'm kind of in the middle where you you are you want to own something beautiful. Yes, and that it weighs heavily in your choice of what car you're getting because it's not all. If it was all about how the car performed, you would not oh, be getting an Aston Martin, choice. right? Right. Oh I mean, yeah, you get not, something not that that, uh, that Hammond likes. Oh, like the Pagani? Or... Yeah, he always likes mm-hmm. the ugly, weirdo, performance yep. beast cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but, yeah, the Aston, but Aston Martin, he wants, it's like it's like a piece of art or sculpture. It's like because you want to own a beautiful thing. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely it's... will say that. Like the Aston Martin, that's one of the only like super high end cars that I've looked at and and just like wanted just from a like I've wanted it in a physical way. <laughs> you know, not like I, <laughs> not like I wanted to do bad things to the muffler, but like you know, like you you could look at that and you can say that is a beautiful object. So yeah, I I totally get that. Although when I went to go pick up the one M at, at that specialty dealer, they had a, an Aston Martin on the show floor because it was it was like an exotic car dealer. And I got to sit in it, and it was the first time I'd ever been in one. And I and I was kind of disappointed. I was like, you know, this is nice and everything, but first of all, you sat really low to the ground, which I discussed last episode. I don't really like, and uh, it was just it just sitting in it wasn't that thrilling. It, it, it is wasn't a British as good as car it slash Ford car, <laughs> so it has two two strikes against it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, like I said, in every way, it is completely wrong. Except that, in my personal opinion. It is the most beautiful car I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was just it was stunningly pretty. And I, I although I w- you could very legitimately argue that the Subaru was not terribly pretty. You could argue that the three that the three thirty five. I actually think it's pretty, but you could argue it isn't. Uh, I think my three hundred ZX still looks semi modern, and nobody will agree with me. But I think that that's true. Uh, is it I the generation it that very- has the big butt? Uh, it's the one that has the big everything. It's the one that has the big everything. <laughs> right, it's very, yeah, it's very curvy. One. Yeah, very curvy. Uh, I still find it to be beautiful. And it, it, to be honest, it has a very similar lines to an Aston Martin. I, well, that's a terrible comparison. But to my weird eye, it has similar lines to an Aston Martin. And so I think the Aston is just an unbelievably, just painfully beautiful car. And, and even though it's not as fast as it probably should or could be, it probably will never work properly. Um, and I won't say that's because it's British, um, but it, nonetheless, it's just, it, I think it would be unbelievably fun. I'd love one. That, see, that's the kind of car, like, like we were, before we had the baby, we were, we were discussing uh, possibly taking like a, a driving vacation out to California to, and we'd, we would uh, rent a, a supercar of some kind and, and drive along the California coastline on whatever road that is. Um, Pacific Coast Highway. That, yeah. Uh, and we listened to this, and and there there is a company out there that will rent you an Aston Martin, but only an automatic, and and that's why and and then we eventually we canceled the whole trip because we couldn't schedule it because with practicalities in life. But uh, that's like I would gladly if I was like going on a trip and going to rent something exotic, I, I think I would still pick an Aston. I would hope if I could get a stick, but I, I would at least probably still pick it anyway. Or I would get a Ferrari, honestly. Um, Especially because a lot of them, you can get a lot of the old Ferraris with sticks. Um, but well, you and I looked into Gotham, didn't we? Gotham, yeah, they, and that, that was one of the companies, and they also Gotham's all automatics, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate because nobody can drive stick. And they, right. right. And they would destroy the clutch of this Ferrari every time they rented it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, John, what would you pick? I know the answer is some sort of uh, pony, but or horsey, if you will. But would it be the Ferrari La Ferrari, or is it a Civic? <laughs> no, so so my car, my like my fantasy car that I, I, I 
I I own it through by proxy through uh through force of will is always the and it has been the uh middle of the road mid engine Ferrari. So it was the three forty eight, then it was the three fifty five, then it was the three sixty, then it was the four thirty, now it's the four fifty eight. Uh, that's my car. Uh, as Ferrari keeps upgrading it, each time they produce a new version, I have to decide, am I going to continue saying this is my car, this line of cars, or have they made it too ugly for me or bad in some way? Uh, so right now it would be, it would be the 458. That said, if I had to choose between the 458 and the LaFerrari, it might be a difficult choice because... You just said the LaFerrari. Yeah, I know. That's how they say it. Uh, because... The like the F50 and the Enzo were just so, and even the F40 for that matter, were just so objectionable to be styling wise. And the reason I pick Ferrari instead of Lamborghini or any of the other supercars that may be faster is because I really like Ferrari's styling. I think that they have they've struck the right balance between something that looks beautiful and something that looks functional and something that's a little bit cool looking. Uh, and I and their their styling has been evolving, like from the you know from the the Testarossa and the 348 with the big you know stripes on the side, all you know. Uh, their evolution they haven't lost me yet they haven't gone into a bangle phase uh you know they haven't <laughs> they haven't really just gone off the rails with the styling and, and that's re- a big part of why i want to listen not just because it's fast and a mechanical marvel but because it's fast and mechanical marvel and beautiful kind of like how we you know like apple hardware you know get, i'm talking about the mac pro briefly you know i i like the idea that something is incredibly powerful and sophisticated and also beautiful inside and out Right, like the Dual G5 is a good example of that, where we stuck at 500 megahertz forever with an incredibly slow front side bus, and then finally they make a machine that's going to break out of it, and it was beautiful inside and out. That was like the Ferrari of Max for a brief moment in time, right? Uh, so that's why it would definitely be a Ferrari, probably a 458. If, if, realistically speaking, if money wasn't infinite and someone gave me a lot of Ferrari, I would sell it, get a 458, and like you know some sort of sedan. And the four five eight, I mean, it is very pretty. Without without question, it is a very very pretty car. So I can't blame it. To be honest, your answer is the right answer. But when when you have this kind of question and you answer from the heart or the gut or the groin or whatever, um, I, I would still stick with my Aston. And I would probably also want <laughs> to have like have a, no I, heart. I, I, I seen <laughs> this in the, uh, the some recent like listings for high end apartments in like I don't know Taiwan or whatever some some Asian city where you uh, where there are lots of new rich people or maybe it was Russia even and they will sell you high rise apartments where you drive your car and your car goes up in an elevator and it comes up to your apartment with you and it sit, there's a glass wall between the rest of your apartment and the place where your car is so you can look at it all the time and that that <laughs> that, that is, is a feature awesome. of the thing because what you know half of the reason I would be buying any of these cars is because they're beautiful to look at and I would like literally want to have it not in my house but basically so when I wake up in the morning I could eat breakfast and there would be a big glass wall and my two Ferraris sitting there that that is a lifestyle improvement as far as I'm concerned. That is pretty nice. Well, although hopefully it would come with detailing service also. I mean, if they can oh, yeah, do all no, that for yeah, you. people keep it clean. The whole but like that seems that seems silly, but that is half the reason that I think a lot of people buy these cars because they are. That's the reason you know Casey's getting the Aston, which is is not a great car, you know, because it's beautiful to look at and looking at beautiful things makes you happy. Yeah, although and that's the I problem. Like agree. usually you don't spend a whole lot of time looking at the outside of your own car. Right, and now now you have occasion to. Yeah. No, truly, in, in my perfect world, I wake up one morning, I stretch, and I look over at Aaron, and I'm extremely excited to wake up next to her as I am every day, and then I look past Aaron, and there's my Aston, just sitting there waiting, both my ladies. In the same bed. <laughs> it's crowded. It's, it's crowded, but we make it work.
give me a second. I'm going to go get some. I'm going to refill my drink here, and then we can do ATP. You guys good? Yeah, that's good. All right, no. give me a sec. What is Marco drinking? Place your bets. <laughs> He's got fizzy water. Don't kid yourself. Fizzy water. I think so. Can you guess what yeah. I'm drinking? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what you prefer. Are you a coffee person? Are you're you supposed to, you're, I'm drinking. You're supposed to guess. Uh, you seem like the type that would enjoy tea, but I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess you're having no. It wouldn't be coffee. I'm gonna guess some sort of bubbly beverage, some sort of soda. Marco will know when he comes back. Ay, ay, ay. I was trying to, to quiz Casey about what I was drinking. We were saying, what do you think Marco's drinking? So you went off to refill your drink. What do you think? I, assume, I said fizzy water. Uh, he has a beer at night, but he's not going to refill that. So I thought it was coffee. I got nothing. So that's, that's my guess. What it's was a beer. It? Yeah. I thought Good for you. Talking. He has his beer at night, but you just just be one. You're, usually oh, it is just one, but I decided wait. to try two tonight, one for each Son podcast. A, all right, well, now i got to go get some more makers. Go for God, it. you're killing me. And I so I, I asked Casey, what do you think I'm drinking? And he wait, couldn't, I, yeah, he I couldn't hear figure it out, first. but I'm going to have faith that Marco's going to know. What right, you're after drinking. you answer this, I'll run downstairs. Oh, man. I would guess, just just knowing you, I would guess you're just drinking water. Correct. You shouldn't have to even think about that. <laughs> oh, God, you're Non-fizzy. so boring. Non-fizzy. You're so boring. It, it, Tap water, not right, bottled on. water. It's the not... Honda Civic of drinks. <laughs> no, I, I drink water all day long. That's what I drink. I don't have I don't have coffee. I don't drink alcohol. Not for any particular reason. I just don't like it. Uh, water all day. All right. Speaking of, I'm gonna go get some makers. I'll be right Enjoy. Back. My my exciting thing that I have when I go out to eat is I have a soda. Like I have, <laughs> I have one, you know. So once every a month and a half, I have uh, one extremely watered down Sprite from a restaurant. That's really terrible no it's not water is great i recently discovered that you can you can flavor soda stream water using cocktail bitters uh so you can yeah, so now, I, now got, i can now, you've got your infinite supply of those from your experimentation yes uh so now i ha- i can make myself uh lime orange or even grapefruit seltzer and it's quite good oh god i just got back i'm already bored the lime is especially the best <laughs>